Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Welcome to Faith Today. So good to have you here. Take your Bibles out. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. How many came ready to hear from the Word of God this morning? This is where we grow. This is where we learn. This is where we're discipled. It's through God's Word. Now, we're, we're in kind of a, a series on reality. And uh, 1 John is all about what real Christianity looks like. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does, what does Christianity really look like? And, and what does real life look like? Now, we've been doing a little spoof, if you've been here over these last several weeks, on reality programming. And the reality show today is maybe not as familiar with most of you, since it shows on MTV, and most of you guys never watch MTV, but it's called The Buried Life. Anybody ever seen The Buried Life in here? That's what I was afraid of. Okay, one. Uh, thank you. Uh, the Buried Life. And, and, and the premise is all about this. Every one of us are going to die. We're going to die. This, this, we, we all, we're all terminal but but in the in the buried life they have a bucket list of about 200 things they want to cross off before they die and so the whole premise of the show is we are we are going through our bucket list and doing those things we want to do before death comes and takes us away now i want to tell you paul wrote about the buried life he said i am crucified with christ i'm crucified i died with christ jesus Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So every single one of us who are a child of God are really living out the buried life. Paul says, I have been buried with Christ Jesus. I am hidden in him. My life is buried in him. And now I have life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything I do is based on his life. Now, the bucket list, that's, that's kind of a premise. That, has anybody in here ever made up a bucket list or thought about what you want to do? A few of you. I have. I, I've done that. One of them is not skydiving. And, 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 it's, and it's not riding a bull. That's not going to be on my bucket list. I'm not going to ride a, a, bronking, a bucking bronco, okay? That's, that's not part of my bucket list. Maybe one day I, I did tell my wife I want to dive the Great Barrier Reef off the coast of Australia because I love to dive, and, and that would probably be in the natural. That would be on my bucket list. Uh, but John says the one thing that has to be on our bucket list above everything else is to love God and love one another. That's what our life is to be all about. It, is, it, it can all be summed up in those two commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so he says everything we do in this life can be summed up in those two things. And as you read 1 John, you can definitely see on John's bucket list is love one another. Love one another. In fact, he uses it three times in our text today. Now the story is told that John is, is living in Ephesus. He's finishing out his life. He's extremely old by this point. 
And the church gathers him and they go and they carry him to where the rest of the church or rest of the Christians are gathering together and they bring him down because he no longer has the strength to really carry himself anymore. And, and uh, he's going to give one last exhortation before he dies. And it says this, little children love one another. Little children love one another. And the disciples and brothers said, Master, why do you always say this? And John says, because, because it is the Lord's command, and if that alone is done, it suffices. Because it is the Lord's command, and if that alone is done, it suffices. I would say at the top of John's bucket list is love one another. Let's say that together. Love one another. Let's read about it. First John chapter 4. Let's stand together as we read God's word. First John chapter 4 and verse 7. Great to have everybody here, especially our guest. Thanks for coming. And if you're a guest today, I'd love to meet you in the Welcome Center right after the service for a few moments and uh, greet you personally. First uh, John 4 and verse number 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. Now, three times in this chapter, John is going to reiterate love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god because god is love this is how we he showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him that is love Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. There he says it the second time. Love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Father, I I thank you for John's letter that we have it today. I thank you for reminding us again that we need to love one another. This is the essence of our Christianity. This is the essence of our faith and our salvation and everything else. And so I pray, God, you'll help us do that. I pray where walls have been set up between each other, where barriers have been erected, where where people are angry and mad and, 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 and have some kind of bitterness in their spirit, I pray, God, that before they leave today, they'll leave it all at the altar and they'll give it to you and you'll help us to obey your command. And we love you and we thank you for your sweet presence. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Three times, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Why do you think this is so important to John? Why, why does he emphasize this again and again? In fact, this is the third time in 1 John alone that there's a whole treatise on loving one another. There's a whole passage on loving one another. He's done that two other times already. This is the third and last time he will deal with loving one another. Why do you think it's so important? Well, he, he gives us three reasons, and I want to give those to you this morning on why loving one another is so essential to our lives. Number one, he says, because God is love. 
God is love. It is a part of his essential nature of who he is. And so when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says I share in his nature. And if God's nature is love, and I, as through salvation, share in his divine nature, I am partakers of his divine nature, how can I not love my brother? It's a good question. So John's going to go on to say, if you're really not loving somebody else, do you really have his nature at all? Do you understand his nature? Do you have it inside of you? Are you really even saved? A, A navigator depends on his compass. And he has a compass, and the compass always points which direction? North. Compass is, no matter how you turn or how you spin that compass, the compass always points north. And so where the compass points, that determines the course I'm going to take. And the reason it always points north is it is responding to the magnetic field that is a part of the Earth's makeup. Okay, there, the earth has this magnetic field and a part of its makeup is that it will, the compass will always respond by pointing north because that is the nature of the earth. Now the nature of God is love. The Bible says God is love. And he says the person who knows God has been born of God, he will automatically respond to God's nature. And so we by nature will always point north. We by nature, because God is love, we will love. Right? As the compass naturally points north, a believer will naturally practice love because love is the nature of God. And this love is not a forced response. It's not, I love you because God makes me love you. This love is a natural response to the character of God. I have his nature and his character inside of me. Verse 7, he says, we are not only born of God, but we know God. We know God. The the word there for know is is a word for an an intimate relationship. The same word that was used in Genesis for Adam and Eve, and this is an Adam, new Eve. It it talks about intimacy in our relationships. Uh, And so to know God means I have a deep, personal relationship with God. Not just head knowledge, not just know about God, but because I have a deep relationship with him, I share his life, and I enjoy his love, and there is an intimacy between me and God because I really know God. And then in verse 8, he says, whoever does not love does not know God. Because if I intimately know God, who is love, I can't help but love. It's a, it's a part of his nature, and now it becomes a part of my nature. And so if I am not loving, Paul, uh, John says, you must really not know God. You may have a knowledge of God. You may know about God. You may have him in your mind, uh, but his presence has never made its way into your heart. And so when I know God intimately, I can't help but love. It's, it's, it's a part of his nature. For the loveless Christian to profess, profess to know God and to have been born of God is like claiming to have parents who you look nothing like or you act nothing like, Right? We look like our mother and father. Some of you look like your mama. Some of you look like your daddy. Some of you are some kind of strange mix in between. 
but 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 we can say we 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 know God in that way. We are partake of His nature because we look like our daddy. He's my heavenly Father. And so John says, listen, if you're not loving, you must not really know him in that intimate way because you sure don't act like him. Love. Now the second reason he goes on to say love one another is because God loved us. Reason number one, God is love. That's his nature, so that's why I love. Reason number two, I love because God loved me. God loved us. So if God loved us, how can I withhold my love from somebody else? God loved us. Because God is love, he must find a way to communicate that love. And so God just doesn't say in his word, I love you, although he does say that, but, but he showed his love in deeds. He practically showed us his love. True love is never static or inactive. It is always active. It always has to have a product or, or a recipient of that active love. True love is always active. The very fact that God made us and created us in his image, the fact that he gave man a free choice and didn't force us to love him, but gave us a choice in the garden has always given us a choice of whether we'll choose to love him or not. The truth of redemption, the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again to take us home to be with him are all evidences that God loves us. But the greatest evidence, the greatest evidence of God's love, the greatest expressions of God's love is God sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Self-sacrificing love, that is the greatest proof of the love of God. Where he sent his son for us. Look at verse number nine. I want to read that uh, verse to you again. This is how God showed his love among us. This is how God revealed his love. This is how God manifested his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now the word there is showed in the King James Version, uh, in the... the, uh, uh, NIV. In the King James Version, the word's manifested. This is how the love of God was manifested to us, and that God sent his only begotten son. Now, the word manifest means to come out in the open, to show it openly, to be made public. That's what the word manifest means. Now, under the Old Testament, follow me here, God was hidden behind the shadow of rituals and ceremonies. They knew God loved them, and they, they, they experienced God's deliverance, but, but, but for the most part, God's love was hidden behind a lot of shadows and types and rituals and temples and sacrificial systems and veils and the Ark of the Covenant and all the items in the tabernacle. And, and, and for, for in some way, his love was veiled. But now God is going to manifest his love. He's going to show it openly uh, when he sent his only son to earth uh, and Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Uh, No longer hidden, no longer cryptic, uh, but now God comes out with it. I love you this much. Here's my son. His love was manifested or expressed in his son coming to earth uh, and then giving his life for us. Now, last week, I used the word appeared. It's also translated manifest 
or it's also translated showed. I used it in two ways last week. In 1 John 3, 5, it says, he was manifested to take away our sins. And then I read in 1 John 3 and 8, he says the reason the Son of God appeared or was manifested was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, when did God take away our sins, and when, when did God destroy the works of the devil? On the cross. So the cross, Calvary, is the ultimate display or manifestation of God's love. That's when God's love appeared. That's when God's love was manifested in a very powerful, dynamic way. And what kind of love is this? It is a self sacrificing kind of love it is a love that says i love you so much i'm going to die for you right every parent you would die for your child you would die husbands for your wife you would die for your family members Uh, but the bible said god commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us self-sacrificing love giving love He goes on to say that this is how we ought to love each other. So in the same manner, so in like manner, you ought to love one another. Godly Christian love. Jesus lived the buried life. He came to earth from the very beginning with the intention that he would give his life for us. And on his bucket list was you and I. We were on God's bucket list. We were the reason he gave his life. And every time we show that love to one another, we are showing the love of Jesus Christ. Isn't that neat? I want to tell you, this is a loving body. And you guys show it in so many ways. And what a practical, tangible way. You know, love is action. Love means doing something. It's not just saying I love. I, I don't just love in deed only, but I, I live in my I love in my actions. And that's the way Christ loved. Now, he, he does this. The Bible says... He, he, we should love one another as he loved us for two reasons. He says because in that, in that he loved us first, he w- lives his life through us. Look at verse number nine. It says there, uh, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. His death was not an accident. It was the price that had to be paid so I might have life. So literally, he gave his life up so that I might have life. And he he didn't die as a victim. He dies as a mighty conqueror. Uh, He died. The Bible says if a a seed of grain falls into the ground and dies, uh, when it springs up, it bears much fruit. Uh, And so Christ uh, was that seed uh, that was planted in the ground uh, that out of him life might be produced. And because he died on the cross, I have his everlasting life. And the Bible says that I was in a state that I was dead in trespasses and sin. uh, But because of the cross, because of Calvary, I live again. And I have that buried life. And then he says the second reason he died was to be our propitiation. And he says, or to be our atoning sacrifice in the NIV propitiation the king james version in other words what does it mean for god to be our atoning sacrifice we we read a couple of phrases in john's gospel in first john that that he says first of all in first john 1 5 he says god is light 
Now, what is he implying? God is perfectly holy. God is a holy God, and we looked at that attribute of God. But in 1 John 4, 8, we read that God is love. So you have a God of light who is holy, and you have a God of love who wants to forgive and save sinners. How do we satisfy the holiness of God and the love of God at the same time? The only way it can be satisfied is through the cross of Calvary. And so what happens is uh, my judgment was placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and that is how I can be saved. Uh, that's how I can be, uh, have my sins taken away because he is my atoning sacrifice. He paid the price and took my sins upon himself. That's how God can both be holy and loving at the same time. No one who's been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable love and unmerited love can go throughout the rest of his life being selfish. That's what John says. How can we be selfish and mean and bitter and and unforgiving when Christ died on the cross for people like us. This, he said, this, is, this is why we're to love one another because God loved us and he showed that love. And in verse 11 he says, if God so loved us, we also ought. And so the word so means in like manner. And what was the manner of Christ's love? It was self-sacrificial love. And so he says, that's the way we're to love one another. And so I put your desires above my desires. I put your, your agenda above my agenda. I put you first in my life. I love you. I express that love. It's not about me, me, me all the time. Now, now it becomes as a child of God because he loved me, I love you. Self-sacrificial, same kind of manner. And God who is loving still loves today. Isn't that great news? It is seen in our love then. You see, the, the, the unseen God who revealed his love in the Lord Jesus Christ when he came to earth and when he gave his life for us is still being incarnated in our life today every time we love somebody else. So now, he first showed his love through the Lord Jesus Christ when he came and sacrificed himself. Now he is showing his love uh, to the world and to one another through us, through his church. And so the third reason he gives why we are to love one another is because God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us and that is found in verse number 12 the word perfected means completeness or maturity when you see that word perfected you say i can't love perfectly what do you mean god's love is perfected in me god's love completes the full cycle when he loves through us to touch other people and so it becomes mature or complete Uh, and so every time we love somebody else his love is being reproduced in us again and again and so when we're involved in christian fellowship when we're involved in sacrificial love for somebody else he said the love of christ is being perfected in your life being brought to maturity in the old testament The Israelites used to look at the tabernacle in wonder. And it was where the presence of God 
dwelt, okay? And so they would, they would stand in awe. And the only people who could go in to the Holy of Holies was the high priest, and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so they kind of stood back in awe and fear and a holy reverence at the tabernacle. And then the temple is built, and it was a massive structure that Solomon built. And it was the centerpiece in Jerusalem, and people would come to worship there. But there was still this awe of the dwelling of God, the sovereignty of God, the Holy of Holies, all that aura was there. But the Bible says, I have God's spirit, and now he comes and he lives inside of me. The Shekinah glory that filled the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the temple in the Old Testament, now the Bible says, I become the dwelling place of God, and God dwells inside of us. That's the incredible thing. His Holy Spirit comes in and lives inside of us. Now, listen, without the Holy Spirit, our minds are dark. And our hearts are cold. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he enlightens my mind to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also warms our heart to love God and love others. That's what the Holy Spirit does because he dwells inside of us. So believing and loving are evidence the Spirit of God is at work in my life. So when I believe and when I love, I'm showing signs that God dwells inside of me. A Christian who abides in God's love then becomes a powerful witness for God in the world. And he says, man cannot see God, but they see his love moving through our deeds and our action and our helpfulness and our kindness. But if instead of loving others, the world sees bitterness and meanness and self-will and self-seeking, the love of God is not being perfected in you, and no one's going to want your Christianity. You actually do more damage in a witness and testimony when you're not loving and you're not caring, and you become a stumbling block to God's divine purpose for our life. The world will not believe that God loves sinners until they see his love at work in us. Let me say that one more time. The world will not believe that God loves sinners until they see the love of God at work inside of us. Love, love, love one another. Now, how do you know if your love is being perfected? You say, Pastor, that's good. I want mature love. I want complete love. How do I know it is being perfected in my life? He gives you a test in verses 16 to 19. So look at your Bibles again, and I want to pick it up there. And so we know and rely on the love of God has sent us, has for us. God is love. He says it again. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In other words, this is the sign that God is dwelling inside of you. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. How do we know my love is being perfected? Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Complete love, mature love, drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse number 19, we love because he first loved us. Now he says the way you know that your love is perfect or mature is that this is the absence of fear. The absence of fear in our lives is, is, is that 
testing ground. In other words, love and fear are mutually exclusive. They're like oil and water. They don't mix together. And so as your love is being perfected, fear is being driven out of your life. We can't approach God in love and hide in fear from him at the same time. If you're afraid of God, then, that, then he's not dwelling in you. There's not, that, there's not that love being perfected in your life. It is by the love of God that, that the false cringing of fear in God is overcome. I no longer fear him because I know his love. And that's being perfected in me. Now, why does he say that's true? He says fear has to do with punishment. And if I'm in Christ Jesus, then there's no punishment or condemnation hanging over my life anymore. So the fear's gone. No condemnation can touch us. Now, we live in a world filled with fear. And there's fear that operates on three levels. And we're going to do a real quick check to see what your fear quotient is in your heart and life right now, where your fear level is at. Number one, some people fear their past. And their past always comes back to haunt them. And the devil's there, and he's the accuser of the brother, and he brings back all these past sins, and he tells us how bad we are, and that we're no good, and how many times we failed, and how many times we've blown it. But here's, the, here's what the, the gospel is all about. My past was judged when Christ hung on Calvary. And the Bible said when he died, he died to take away my sin. So if I am in Christ Jesus, my sin is gone. My past has been forgiven. I have been cleansed. And so if you start having these fearful thoughts about judgment to come because of something you've done in your past and you believe you are a child of God, you begin to quote Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. My past is gone. I have been forgiven. I have been cleansed. And so I don't have to fear my past. Uh, I, you, you may have been abused. You may have been neglected. You may have had a rough childhood. You may have had several marriages in the past, and I don't know what number you're on now. You may have, had a, 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 you may have gone bankrupt. You may have had colossal failures in your life. Uh, but listen, I don't have to fear those things uh, because I am in Christ Jesus. Uh, and any sin I've ever repented of, it's gone. It's forgiven. It's no more. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Uh, Fear has to do with punishment. Jesus took the punishment upon himself so I won't face the wrath of God. Now, it's the second thing. Listen to me. Some people are afraid of their present. You just just worry all the time. There's just this anxiety that's in your heart. You gotta take anxiety medicine or anxiety pills, or you're so you're strung so tight, you're wound up so tight that you just kind of live in this constant state of perpetual ongoing fear. Now listen to Tim, let me tell you about your present in the buried life. The Bible says uh, that I am seated with him in heavenly places uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and he tells us that's far above all principalities uh, and all powers uh, and all dominions uh, and all the rulers of darkness. Uh, Christ is above all that. They are under his feet. Uh, and the Bible says if I am seated with him in heavenly places, uh, that means where are they at? Under my feet. Because I am in Christ Jesus. I don't have to fear anything the devil can bring upon me. Fear. They're under my feet. 
fear has to do with punishment. Now, now, we know he's talking about punishment to come, but fear also has to do with punishment right now, and that fear itself becomes its own punishment. Worry will just rip you off. Anxiety and fear is punishment in itself. And so when he says fear has to do with punishment, not just future punishment, but punishment right now. Because I don't have any joy. I don't have any peace in my heart. I don't have that peace that passes all understanding. Because fear has to do with punishment. It is always a constant tormentor. It torments you now. Now, the, the form of fear in the present is called worry. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. This is the scripture for you, Matthew chapter 6. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who worries in here. But some of you guys worry every time that teenager drives out the, out the driveway. Some of you worry about getting sick or getting a disease. Or the doctor's report, or what's the doctor going to say? Or you just, you just live in constant worry about not having enough. And, and all these kind of things plague your mind and flood your mind. And it's ripping you off of the joy of the Lord. Perfect love, when you understand how much God loves you, and you love him in return, it drives out all kinds of fear. You don't have to worry, child of God. Let me say that one more time. You don't have to worry, child of God. Listen to it. Listen to what Matthew 6 says. And he talks about the love of the Father here. Where, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Wow. That's, that's why it's, it's so much punishment there. It's ripping you off of your life today. And we worry about stuff in the future. Most of it never, ever happens. But it robs me of my joy today. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which here is today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. You're going to see a lot of pagan running in this next month. Running to this store, getting this door, door buster, running here, going there. They showed some things on the TV of fights breaking out in the, out in the shopping malls. Is that nuts or what? For junk, for stuff. He said, your life is more than that. Your life's more than the latest toy, the latest outfit, the latest clothes, uh, the latest meal. For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The buried life... The buried life is all about living my life right now. 
to please God, to glorify God. I, my life is hidden in Christ Jesus. Uh, I'm crucified with Christ, uh, and yet I, I live. Yet not I, it's Christ living in me and through me, loving. And then the third thing, people worry about the future. And the thought of, the thought of eternal judgment is probably the harshest fear there is. To think about eternity, to think about life after death, what happens. But in verse 7, he said, verse 17, excuse me, he says, In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. I don't have to fear judgment. I don't have to fear the future. I have confidence, boldness, that, that God will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come on in. Listen, one day there will be judgment upon the rebel race. But the whole plan and purpose of the atonement was to save the believer from such condemnation. I don't have to be afraid of that because I'm hidden in Christ and his love is being perfected in me. And I know God loves me and I know I'm his child and I love serving him. And so I don't fear the future. Because of that I can have boldness to face life today because there is no situation in life that compares to the terrible severity of the day of judgment. So I don't worry. I'm not afraid. I'm living the buried life. God wants his children to live in an atmosphere of love and confidence, not fear and torment. We need not fear life or death, for we are perfected in the love of God. Now, if you're afraid of dying, there's a deathly fear that, 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 that works together, deathly fear of dying. There is a fear of dying that is unbelievable. But the Bible says we don't even have to fear death because there's no condemnation, there's no judgment coming, there's no punishment coming. So for the child of God, death is a graduation into the presence of the Lord. It's not to be feared. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. If you're afraid of death, you're afraid of the future, you're afraid of what's going to happen to you, listen to this passage, Romans 8 and verse number, let's start with 35. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. Uh, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, neither any other created thing uh, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Isn't that incredible? I don't have to be afraid. Perfect love drives out fear. Now to go back to 1 John 4. I'm going to finish it up. Look at verse number 19. We say we love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And if he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, the phrase, if we say, 
That's the seventh time you see it in 1 John. If we say, if we say, if we say. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the real test of our Christianity. And if we say, I love God, but I hate my brother, you're lying. Why? Because of his nature. I have his divine nature. God is love. Why? Because God first loved us. And how can I help, not help but love somebody else? Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in me and he drives out all fear. And so, so, so how can I hate somebody else whom God loves? And he, and he uses the logic. He says, which is harder, to love God or love your brother? Well, well you know, of course, we say love God because it's, it's, it's intangible. I can't see it. But, but John really uses the reverse logic. To love someone you can't see is harder than loving somebody you can see. And if you can't love somebody right next door to you or that you can see, how can you love God whom you cannot see? Okay? So, so the, the, he, he uses that there's no way you can claim to love God if you can't even first begin to love your brother here on the earth. Every claim to love God, he says, is a delusion if not accompanied by unselfish, practical love for the brother. In God's love, I, I am being perfected in him. And it's being perfected in me. And so I love my brother because God is love, because he first loved us. And after I learned that, then I love him and I love one another. And God's love is perfected and the whole cycle is being carried out. And the world sees Jesus Christ through our love every single day. We reach out and love somebody else. Now, how do you know? By your love. By your love. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. John's logic is flawless. It is impeccable. He, he gives us no wiggle room. There's no gray area there. God loves us, therefore love one another. Black and white. Not if I feel like it. Not if they've been nice to me. Not if they've been good to me. Not if they're my buddy. Love one another because God is love. And God loved us first. Now there's some in here, you're filled with fear today of the future. You have that third level of fear. You fear death because of punishment and judgment to come. And you don't know Jesus Christ and you're afraid. And if you were to die today, you'd be lost for all eternity. And that fear is there. And it's a very real fear. Listen, perfect love casts out fear. When you come into the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and you receive him as your Lord and Savior, that fear of the future will be taken away. And the Bible says he gives you a gift. And that gift is called... Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.